0: Hi, uh, welcome to the Brooks Online Gathering. My name is Muchi cable, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If this is your first time, we're super excited that you could join us, that you would give of your time to join us. Um, in the chat, wherever you are engaging with us from is a link that we would love for you to fill out so that we could connect with you, uh, find out what God is doing in your life through your story, and it connects you to the larger story of what God is doing among us as the church, the Brook. If you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, meet me in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be today as we close this series, Hide and Seek. Uh, We have been looking, and now we've had some pit stops, but in general, we were looking at this dynamic of our hearts and our tendency, escapist behaviors to run and hide when things are difficult. To unplug from reality and to do what Neil said, what Carlos said, which is to give ourselves over to an illusion that though it seems safe and secure, it's actually dangerous to our souls. But even though we have a tendency to run and hide, whether it's because of shame or frustration or under expectations, though we have a tendency to run and hide, what's true is that God is regularly coming and pursuing God is pursuing us. He is on pursuit. And we started this series because we said in this moment, providentially, it felt like God was trying to gather everybody's attention by trying to uh, remove distractions and lock hearts in to Him. And even in the midst of tremendous pain and suffering and anger and frustration around the current state of affairs for our social ethos specifically in America, what we have seen is that God is Awakening the conscience of humanity. And that's a good thing. Unfortunately, it seems that that awakening is not coming through the people of God, that we aren't leading the way. That doesn't have to be the case. We have the opportunity to change that. But nevertheless, there is this awakening of the conscience. And in the awakening of our collective conscious, God has just been doing some, some stuff in my heart. He's just been barraging my soul with truth around this idea that it feels like collectively and personally, we are in what I would call a ledge moment. A ledge moment, they're littered all throughout the scriptures, but a ledge moment is when God brings you to this proverbial edge, this proverbial ledge where you look down and you can't really see what's in front of you, where it seems like you're face-to-face with this necessary work, even though it seems insurmountable, where you're face-to-face with this daunting road that you're called to walk, and though you can't make out the future, he's still calling you to jump ledge moments. And it feels like a ledge moment where where we're we're at the proverbial edge of a cliff and God is saying, jump and I'll catch you. And even that feels cavalier to some degree. It's like, ah, that seems reckless. That's actually why I like comfort and control and I don't really want to get with Jesus or the God of the Bible. But let me explain This is what it's not, swimming. Can't swim. (laughs) Now before your mind goes towards all of the cultural stereotypes regarding African-Americans and swimming, there's some unique reasons I can't swim. One, I don't think I'm that buoyant. Two, I don't really like the ocean. I get terrified of pools and oceans because I think the ocean is like one of the most unexplored places in the world. So we may find a Kraken, we may find a Loch Ness Monster. If God wanted me to be able to swim, he would have gave me gills. That's how I operate. You know, now our kids on the other hand, our kids are beach kids. They love the ocean, they love swimming. They're actually gonna go surfing in about a month. That is them. I am not them. We are different. Amen. But I did want to learn to swim because you know I am in a city that's surrounded by water, it is a thing. And so in investigating how I could learn to swim, I would ask people how they learned. And eight times out of ten, listen, literally, eight times out of ten, this is what I was told. Man, I was just thrown into the deep end and it was swim or die. Sacred swim. So you just, I was like, really? Your parents did that to you? They're like, yeah, oh, for sure. Like, it was my parents, it was my cousins, it was my brother, it was my uncle, it was my auntie, it was my sister. They threw me into the deep end and it was literally, you swim or you die. That is not how God interacts with us in alleged moment. God is not cavalier with our hearts or our lives. When God brings us to a ledge and tells us to jump, it's not because he's cavalier with our hearts or our lives, it's because he's ruthless about us knowing who he is. Because knowing who he is is a prerequisite for growing, abiding relationship. So he's not cavalier with our hearts, He's just ruthless about relationship and all of god's pursuits will eventually lead to these ledge moments where he says jump i got you and we find ourselves in one right now so what i want to do is i want to look at the text a ledge moment that i think is clear and see some dynamics of ledge moments that would help us to understand where we are and how we might engage. And I just want to give you some lessons that I'm learning from the ledge moment right now. And so, Joshua 5 will unpack some dynamics of ledge moments, if you will. And then some lessons, personal lessons, I am learning from the ledge. Joshua chapter 5. Read with me. Starting in verse 13. It reads like this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, no, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This scene is the beginning of a famous story in the history of the people of God. Even if you're not familiar with Christian theology, with Christianity in general, you may have heard this story regarding Jericho. Right? Where there was this great city, this stronghold, and there was these people that were going to overtake this city. And they didn't overtake this city by swords. They overtook this city by singing. That's where we find ourselves in. That God is calling his people to advance and enter into the promise that he made to them. And he is bringing them to a ledge, if you will, one man in particular who will lead them. And he is saying, there is going to be some new things that are coming. Jump and I'll catch you. And what is absolutely beautiful about this is that the way it ends is that they take this city, this stronghold, without even lifting a finger, only by lifting their voices. The way it begins is still stunning. Starts off that Joshua, after hearing the voice of the Lord, Joshua, after celebrating Passover with his people, Joshua, full of courage and conviction, is marching to fulfill the plan of God. And he is having this alleged moment, if you will, alleged moment again, is where it seems like you're face to face with this insurmountable yet necessary work, or there's going to be a relational shift that God is calling you to make where he wants to take you deeper into knowing him. And so he is now at this moment, and as he is approaching this city, he comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's army. Sorn drawn. And he makes a statement. He makes a statement. Whose side are you on? Ours or our adversaries? The response to me captures the dynamic of all ledge moments. You see, all ledge moments are moments of tremendous clarity and calls to action. There are moments of tremendous clarity and calls to action. And in the moment of clarity, what is being clarified is who God is and who we are Look at the response. Are you on our side or are you on the side of our adversaries? The response was no, no. I am the commander of the armies of the Lord. Now, this is what we call a theophany. It is a visible appearance of God in human history. Now, it is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. We know that this is Jesus talking because whenever you see angels, if you will, throughout the scriptures, whenever somebody falls down in worship because they're so bright, they're so beautiful, the angel's like, no, 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 don't do that. I'm just like you, I'm a created thing. This story, this scene is gonna end with Joshua worshiping, and the angel is not gonna say, don't do that. No, the angel is gonna receive it. In fact, he's gonna clarify, he's gonna say, this is holy ground, not because of the geographical space that you're standing, but because I'm here. So, this is Jesus talking. And the response is showing us that He is clarifying who God is. We know God, and we have preached this in this series He is steadfast in love, abounding in mercy, slow to anger, faithful, great, gracious. We know that. There's another aspect that we absolutely have to know as well, and is that God is free. God is free. God is God-centered, if you will, that he doesn't revolve around us or other ideas, but all ideas and all people, us, should revolve around him. Never played this game, I grew up playing dodgeball. But there's this game, it's a childhood game, it's called Red Rover. Red Rover, Red Rover, and then you would call somebody over. So, Red Rover, Red Rover, Jaquan, come over, Susie, come over, and it would be this person on the opposite side of you, this imaginary line, and you would say, come over to my side. We treat God like that. We, in our hearts, individually and institutionally, Co-op Christianity and God himself. And so what that looks like in our current cultural moment, which is providing the ledge moment I believe that we're in, is, yo, if you're a self-respecting, self-identifying Protestant Christian, and you want to engage in public discourse, or the political arena, or any civic engagement, You have to vote red because if you vote red, you are demonstrating that you understand this is the party that really gets Christianity. This is the party of conviction, of moral values, of the nuclear family. And so you have to vote red to demonstrate fidelity to your faith. You've also heard the opposite. Oh, if you are a self-respecting, self-identifying Christian who really gets the heart of God and you understand that God's heart is for the marginalized, that God makes his home and his residence not at the places of power, but at the margins with the powerless, the steps over in the oppressed, if you really get that, you have to vote blue because that's the party that understands about social Ethics, and they understand about leveraging power to resource and care for those who are most overlooked. If you get that part of God's heart, you must be faithful to it by voting blue. All that reveals is our tendency to hijack God for our own agendas. We will co-op God. Red Rover, Red Rover, Jesus, come on over. But God is free. God is not the one to be fit into our boxes, into our narratives, to come and serve our kingdoms. No, God is free. And in his freedom, he is God-centered. This is the entirety of the Christian scriptures. And that's that's truth that we don't like to hear, but listen to me. God-centeredness is some of the greatest news we could give to our hearts and our souls. Because God being God-centered means that we don't have to worry about good things coming our way. We don't have to worry about having all control, which we know we don't. God is God-centered and God is good. And he wants us not to be convinced by illusions of our own deity that does not exist. We aren't god and we make terrible gods and so you get isaiah 42 8 where he says stuff like my glory i will give to no other i don't want there to be any confusion on who has ultimate power you get the end of this whole exchange where there's a worship you get jericho falling not because they're lifting a finger but they're lifting their voices in worship You get Judges chapter 7 with this man, Gideon, where in Judges, the people of God were crying out because they were suffering, they were in pain, and they needed deliverance, and God responded to their cries. He first heard their cry, then he responded to their cry, and he responded by saying, Judges, that even though people are doing what's right in their own eyes, I will not forsake or abandon my people, and he sends this one judge, Gideon. And Gideon amasses this army, and God starts to whittle down his numbers to 300, not like Sparta, but close. And he says, listen, I am shrinking these numbers, Judges 7, 6, lest you think that you save yourself. Stunning clarity, where God is clarifying who he is and who we aren't. And who he is, is a good, gracious God that is free. And who we aren't is him. We need him. We need to be convinced that we can never move beyond grace. We need him. And so all ledge moments provide this stunning moment of clarity. But there are also these calls to action. Notice what continues in the story. And so, so Joshua's like, oh, hey, you said no, and you said, I am a commander of the army of the lords, where you are is holy ground, and he starts to worship. He responds in worship. He responds with faith. There is a shift in the relationship. You're like, that that seems like you're fitting that into the story. Well, no, this happens with Abraham, where God goes back to Abraham and he's like, yo, walk before me, even though Abraham was already walking with God. And honestly, this is the gospels with Jesus, where God, through Jesus, he says, yo, follow me. Now, that wasn't their first encounter. They were already encountering Jesus, but there was a moment where he says, no, 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 there needs to be some shift into this relationship. Follow me, come closer, go deeper, more faith. A jump, if you will. So they are not only these calls, to action, but we have to see these calls to action as this transferring of trust. So um, I used to work at this sports camp. It's really more than a sports camp. It was called Kids Across America, KAA. I mean, literally, so if, you, if you're part of the KAA family and you're watching this, you probably just yelled, you know, right where you are. I mean, some of my favorite memories were summers in college where we would be in Golden, Missouri, right? Surrounded by crickets and people who just love Jesus. And what we did was we, we put, we pulled all of these inner city kids and we brought them into the forest. And it was just weeks on end of just sharing Jesus, loving on them and serving them. So I was a counselor there. I was on leadership. Even went back as a covenant family. It's in my blood. All right. But I remember my first year there and my first year at camp, there was this one area of camp that um, I grew to love, but I didn't love in the beginning. And it was this area called treetops. And so essentially treetops was this ropes course high in in the sky, very high up there. Um, And you would go on it with a partner and you would just go through various obstacle courses and then you get to the end and the end was like like a big swing, almost like a roller coaster. Now, I was there with one of my campers and the rest of our cabin was going on treetops. And and he was like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to do this. But you could see in his mind, he was kind of wrestling going back and forth if he wanted to go participate in this treetops. And so as he was going back and forth in his mind, I was clear what was going on in my mind. I was like, Lord, I need divine intervention. Do not let this kid Make a decision to go on treetops, because if he made a decision to go on treetops, that meant that I had to go with him. And I wasn't about that life. And, I, and so he looked at me and I tried to look away quick, but I, it wasn't quick enough. And so he caught my eye. And he was like, hey, man, would you would you do this with me? And I was like, yeah, of, course, of course, I'll do this with you, man. I love you, man. I cussed him out like seven times in my head. I was like, because oh, I was just like, I can't believe I had to like conquer this fear of mine. And so we're getting all of the instructions and we're saying that, you know, the the certified trainer, he's telling us, hey, you have these harness, you have these ropes, red rope, blue rope, yellow rope, click it on here, trust the ropes. If you fall, the rope will catch you. Like, it's safe. And we made our way up holding these ropes, having to click them into every new station. And then we got to this one part because you had to go with a partner where we're, we're walking together. His hands are on my shoulder, my hands are on his shoulder. And he starts shaking. And I'm like, bro, don't shake. Cause we're going to fall. He's still shaking. And then because he's shaking, I end up falling and I'm just hanging there. Like, this is when I die. This is how it ends for me. But the rope caught me. So I pulled myself back up. You know, using my upper body strength and we finished the course. We got down and man, he was excited. He was like, oh, that was so amazing. Mucha, did you see that? Man, you fell. That was kind of weird. I was a little scared, but we got to the end. And, oh, it all was so great. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I was, <laughs> as I was still recovering uh, because I had left my, my soul uh, where I was suspended in midair, uh, and the Lord punched me and he was like, don't miss this teachable moment. And I was like, well, tell me, tell me what you can learn from this. And he was like, man, I can learn a lot of things. He's like, man, it, it seems like there's all of these ways we could think about Christianity. And I was like, man, that's great, but brother. Let me let me tell you one way that we can learn about Christianity and one thing that we can learn from this. Do you remember what they told us at the beginning? How there was these ropes that were going to hold us up. And even if we fell, they were, they would hold us up. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, you gotta trust it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you have to literally be confident that it will not be you and your own strength to hold you when you fall. So you have to transfer trust from yourself to these ropes as you're walking. He's like, yeah. He's like, that's kind of like when I give my life to Jesus. And I was like, yes, but there's more. There are these moments, there are these moments where though you have this initial faith, it actually progresses and grows. So I was terrified, bro, and I had faith in the beginning to actually believe that this rope, these three strands would hold me, but it wasn't until I was suspended in mid-air, dangling, soul leaving my body, body, where I was like, wait a second, I haven't fell. There was a progressive faith where I had to continue to transfer trust. That is christianity every single call to action is a transferring of trust to god it is a transferring of trust from ourselves from our ability to control from how we think the future should be to a person to god and in these ledge moments that we all we'll find ourselves in, and we should recognize that we're in right now. God is clarifying who he is and who we aren't, and he is calling us to transfer trust from how we think things should be to a person, saying, God, you chart the future. You chart my life. You define the narrative. Let me transfer trust to you. As I am wrestling with some of the implications of what has been stunning clarity and a a clear call to action, personally, there are some lessons that I've been learning that I hope would encourage you. They're in light of Joshua, but there's other scriptures that honestly have been just bombarding my heart through some of the emotional, spiritual pain that I've, I've felt but honestly, some of the deep faith God has produced. The first is this, lessons from the ledge. I am not enough for the thing I want the most. I'm not enough for it. That every ledge moment, in fact, is a confrontation of limitation, and I don't like that. I do not like being confronted by my limitations. I do not like being confronted by my weakness. I do not like being confronted by vulnerability. I do not like the exposure that that brings. I do not like feeling powerless. I do not like feeling like I'm at the mercy of other people. I don't like that. Yet every single ledge moment is a confrontation with limitation. And God has been saying, hey, you're not enough for what you want most. And that's actually a good thing. Because if you're enough for what you want most, then either what you want most is not good enough, or you don't really need me at all. And, and scriptures like 2 Corinthians 12 won't be beautiful or rich to you. Scriptures that say that when you are weak, I am strong and I am present with you. From the ledge I am learning that I am not enough for what I want most and that's okay because that means i can lean into god not lean away from him another lesson that i'm learning from the ledge it's this reality that i can't ignore the reflexes that i recoil from here's what i here's what i mean when i say that have you ever been in an argument with somebody and then you just yell but then you're just like, man, you know, that wasn't me. It was just that, you know, I was tired. I hadn't had any sleep. You know what I mean? It was just, and what starts to happen is you're like, that's not me. There's all of these circumstances that are contributing to my response. Have you ever, have you ever been that in that space? Most of us have. But what, what God is showing me is these reflexes that I'm ashamed of that I recoil from, like I can't ignore them and nor can I put them on the circumstances around me because circumstances pull what's already present in my heart. So I don't need to deny the things I'm ashamed of. I need to bring them to the one who deals with my shame. well, Jesus. He bears it, and then he covers it with love and grace and forgiveness. And if I do not, if I fail to bring them to him, and I have to bear it myself, I will waste away from the inside out. That's Psalm 32. But if I acknowledge my sin, if I acknowledge the reflexes that are wicked and broken, the ones I recall from, I acknowledge, I confess, I bring them to him, he deals with them well. Can't ignore the reflexes I recall from. Jesus invites me to deal with, with my shame by bringing them to him. There's another lesson I'm learning from the ledge. It's this, crisis clarifies community. Man, this this moment has been so jarring and disorienting. Said a few weeks ago where you just like, you feel like we're all on the same page, charging the same hill, and then you look to the left, you look to the right, you're like, what happened? Crisis clarifies community, that when things are difficult and hard, real community is still found next to you. And that's humbling, that's frustrating, that's scary, but it can be healing as well. And it should also cause honest contemplation because real community doesn't mean it's the best community. (laughs) You can have real people who never leave you but they're not the best for you. The last lesson that I've been learning in in this moment is, complexity invites humility and courage, not arrogance or control. Man, the world is filled with beautiful complexity, and what we try and do is we try to wrestle what is complex into our own hands and oversimplify to the point that we actually start to strip things and people of their beauty. But that wrestling of what is complex into these simple forms that I could grab that lack nuance, that reveals my lust for control, not the wisdom that I think I have called to enter into the complexity humbly. We're called to enter into what's complex sensitively. We're, we're called to enter into what's complex courageously. And the most complex theme in this world is another human story. And we enter in with humility and sensitivity and courage. And if I find it difficult to enter into somebody else's story well, it's not because of them. That says more about me. It's more than hashtags. Real stories, real perspectives that we enter into. My wife was watching this scary movie. Um, Us, Jordan Peele, who is amazing. I love Us. It's a scary movie, but it's also social commentary. But it had me thinking... Um, that I really don't like scary movies. <laughs> like, I know that about myself. Uh, I, just don't, I, like, I just don't go to the theater. I don't just wake up. Yeah, you know what? Freak me out today. Like, that just doesn't cross my mind. <laughs> anyway, as I was thinking about us and other scary movies, I'm like, in every scary movie, what, what happens is you have this villain that is present, and they come um, into the, the, the presence of, of these people. And what do these people do? They run. They're like, I got to get away from you. I got to get away from this. And because they're running from this, wherever they, they get is okay. And I just was thinking, I was like, man, you know what? Looking at these lessons, looking at these ledge moments, God, it's not that you're inviting us to just run away from certain things, to just escape certain things that are broken or bad unhelpful, wrong, wicked. Rather, your invitation isn't run from what's broken. It's run towards what's better. It's not run from a broken past. It's run from a better future. It's run towards it. And that has been encouraging me in ways that I cannot describe. That that God says, yeah, yeah, this is broken. There's some stuff here that it is wrong, it is wicked, but I'm dealing with it and how I'm dealing with it is through you, but look at what I'm doing in the future. Look at how I'm going to bring this glorious future, Revelation 22, all things new now. Listen, God's work is decisive and progressive. So he says it will be, but then he unfolds it. And he invites people to experience it. And I just want to say that that takes a tremendous amount of faith. Individually, personally, systemically, corporately, it takes a tremendous amount of faith because that reality of not just running from but running towards is the ledge. And when faith is most necessary, the temptation to settle is the loudest when we drown it out with a clear picture of who god is now is not the moment to settle now is the moment to run with faith there's a ledge god is saying jump i'm pursuing and i'm leading to this ledge Jump. I'll catch you. When we respond in light of who we see by transferring trust towards him. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you. We will never not need you. We will never be at a place where we could move beyond grace. We need you. Individually, institutionally, collectively, we need you. Thank you. Thank you that you know what we need and you provide it. You give yourself decisively and progressively. Thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.